Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Journey, where Michael Pelosi leads discussions with successful entrepreneurs to learn about their journey of starting, building, and eventually selling their business or transitioning into the next generation. The goal is to allow you to learn from their knowledge, experience, and wisdom as you pursue that in your own business. Michael Pelosi is the president of HFM Investment Advisors, LLC, and brings over 30 years of experience working with business owners to organize and manage their business and personal financial plans to help them define and realize their personal version of success in their lives and businesses. Hello, I'm Michael Pelosi, president of HFM Advisors located in Glassboro, New Jersey. Welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, where we interview successful entrepreneurs who have either sold their business or have been part of a successful transition of their family business. My guest today is Anthony Balea, president of Balea Interiors Group. Balea Enterprises is a third-generation family-owned business that was founded in 1973 by Anthony's grandparents, Sal and Nancy Balea. Balea Enterprises is now run by the third-generation grandsons Anthony Jr., Michael, and Andrew, and it is made up of two successful businesses, Balea Print and Design and Balea Interiors Group. What's unique about Anthony's story is how he and his family members defied the odds of family ownership succeeding into the third generation. Less than 8% of family-owned businesses ever make it that far. Congratulations, Anthony, and welcome here. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm excited about today because in my very first podcast, I interviewed your Uncle Tom and learned about his experience, along with your father, Anthony, of their succession story from your grandparents. Now we get to hear your side of the story from the second to the third generation. I too was really excited when I got to listen to Uncle Tom, as I call Uncle T. And it's amazing. And I think it's a testament to what you guys are doing here. The things that I learned from his interview is stuff that I'd never even learned before, never even heard before. So just really great stuff and really appreciated you doing that for our family. Great to hear. As a family member and in the business and you're just learning from our podcast, that's pretty cool. I like that. I always like to start out with a little small icebreaker to really to know the real Anthony and something maybe personal. Why don't you tell me a story when you were a kid, when you and your cousins were working or playing in the Balea warehouse, something you never told your parents because at the time you probably would have got in trouble with you and your cousins, but now probably family holidays, you could probably laugh about it and talk about it. There's probably a dozen things that we did as a family. When we grew up in a family business, you were expected to work. You didn't really get paid. It was more like part of the chore process. You just had to be there. You had to show up. You had to help out. And of course, we had all sorts of antics and got in trouble throughout the way. The one thing that always sticks out in my mind when somebody asks me that question is we would be responsible for replacing the light bulbs. And they were those long fluorescent light bulbs, you remember? So when we would take them out, we would then be sneaky about it. And we would take them to the back of the office office outside. And then we would proceed to hit each other with them and break them over each other's backs. And we did our best to clean it up in the parking lot. But something that uh, I don't admit too frequently, but sad to say, it happened a lot. (laughs) I love it. That's great. Now, did anyone ever find out about that? Or now they're finding out about it for the first time. And maybe your uncle and father will be hearing a story for the first time on this podcast. I never realized as a child, my parents were actually as smart as they were. I'm sure they picked up on the fact that we were doing it. I don't don't think we ever formally got caught. So since we're talking about your childhood days, I would like to start our conversation there. What was it like as a child working in the family business with your other family members? We were expected to work. 
whether we were outside sweeping the parking lots, sweeping and cleaning up the warehouse out back, after all the remedial tasks that we were doing, then we got to have a little bit of fun and actually get the client interaction. So we could be early teenagers and we were responsible for manning the counter and meeting all of the amazing people that would come in and visit us. I mean, you're talking about 30 plus years of being in business at that time and customers being in Woodbury, as long as we have, would just come in, recognize us, talk to us, and really want to engage us as part of the, the family and the business. And it just really made me feel real special as a child growing up that I knew that there was something special going on here that others didn't have. And so, you know, I always learned to appreciate what we had and knew we had to work hard in order to continue keeping it alive. What I like to hear, and the reason why I'm interviewing you as the third generation is your father and your uncle, although they started in a family business, but they weren't as young as you and your cousins and your brother, they started out. So Starting out that young, what was the, the training like? How did you guys get started in your training? Was it something very formal? What did that look like as when you were young? I think it was pretty close to the school to hard knocks. They throw you into it. They figure it out. You know, They assigned you to one of the managers and tell you what to do and kind of learn. Most of my family members, when we were growing up in the business, we were behind that retail counter, making copies, learning the digital print equipment. None of us were really allowed to work in the interior side of the business, which was called at the time Belia Office Furniture, where the adults got to play right and work. It was just kind of neat to experience both sides of it, but we knew... It was quite an operation, something that was certainly very unique. I guess now as you grew up, went through high school, went to college, was your dream job to work in Belia Furniture? What were you thinking about when you went to college? Did they have classes for that or you were thinking about something different for your career? Mixed feelings. I mean, being a part of a family business at a very early age taught us work ethic. Especially when, when I was in high school, I moved up into more of a Belia office furniture role. I was able to do a little more support, managing libraries, helping out with some of the sales reps. But as I got into college, um, once again, working three jobs, actually, I was a valet, kind of a fun fact. One of my jobs being a valet for the Philadelphia Eagles at the Veterans Stadium. Great way to earn cash. It's also how I met John Runyon, you know, at a very young age, which was very cool. But when we went to college, my dream job at a very early age, and I remember the story so clearly. I remember being a kid, probably eight or 10 years old, walking into my dad's office. And the first thing I would do is I'd pounce onto his chair and I'd spin <laughs> as fast as I could, right? And I looked at my dad who was staring out the window at the time and I said, Pops, I said, this is going to be mine someday. It's something that stuck with him. It's something that he reminded me about as I grew up and made sure I didn't forget that. When I hit college, I wanted to be a finance major. Went to a Ryder University with a finance degree. When I was a senior, I earned my dream job at Merrill Lynch as an intern right in Princeton. That was something that I really wanted to do. I was successful at it. And I knew that I wanted to kind of earn my stripes in the corporate environment. And then that would give me the option to kind of pivot if I wanted to and be able to decide if I wanted to go back and work for the family business. So pretty excited that I was able to do that and earn it. And then, of course, when that transition started to happen where I was looking at some other alternatives, that's when my dad saw what was happening, came to me and said, hey, why don't you interview? Being a family member, being a finance major, probably pretty smart. The, the interview process and hiring was probably pretty simple. They said, Anthony, here's your, here's your office. Go to work, right? It couldn't have been that difficult. Oh, that's so far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, they always say they're harder on their family than they are their other employees. And they hold us to a certain standard, like they hold everybody. But there's a certain criticism and there's a certain level of expectation of they want to make sure they're making the right decision. And so they don't want to bring in family members that don't want to be involved, but they also want to make sure. And when I say they, I mean my father, my uncle, and my family. They want to make sure that the people that we bring in that are family members are up for the task that understand the pressures associated with being in a family business and not being treated special. Something that I learned very early on. And I can tell you that interview process was very difficult. You know, we had an advisory board at the time. They got me in front of that advisory board and I had to do one-on-one interviews and go through that entire process to make sure that, that I was serious about this and I knew what I was getting involved in. So yeah, they took it very serious. The business is very successful to make it to the third generation. They want to make sure that that generation really has a good grasp of what is going to be happening and, you know, understand your roles and responsibilities there. They always say the third generation screws it up. Yeah, well, you haven't done it yet. So maybe the fourth generation for you guys. Once you started working there, did you have an area of expertise that you wanted to follow or pursue? Did you naturally gravitate based on maybe your unique abilities in any one certain area? I think my parents and my family did a good job with allowing us to go to the skill set that really worked for us, right? So to really leverage your capabilities. And my cousins and my brothers and other various family members, we all kind of settled into what really worked for us. For me, it was sales. I'm a happy person. I enjoy speaking and talking to people and engaging like father, like son, you know, my dad being the quintessential salesman. For me, it was very simple and easy to kind of step into that role in sales. And, you know, I took it to that next level. You talk about what did I kind of gravitate towards? For me, it was about developing a program. We were doing a lot of corporate work. We were doing a lot of educational work. And we were also doing a decent amount of federal government work. I think my dad took an opportunity there to introduce me to a couple of his key contacts and really start working in the federal government. We developed that program, very successful at it. We did really, really well, got our own federal government contract. And that allowed me to kind of sink into something where others weren't necessarily playing. And so I was able to work in that and develop that program within Belia. And is that something that you still maintain that type of a special niche Did over time? Did you build your whole practice around that? Did you find that there may have been some other areas that you needed to also work in just in case federal government area didn't work out so well or their funds dried up? Did you diversify a little bit your practice? The one thing that I think we learned and will be 49 years in business this year is diversification is key. Not that you need to follow that hot box, but you need to make sure that you are as diversified as possible so that when the corporate sector, for example, when everyone up and and is forced to work from home, what are we as an organization that supplies office furniture going to be able to respond? How are we going to be able to stay relevant in business? And my father, once again, to his credit, taught us that being diverse is what allows us to survive as a family business. You may have probably got that back from your background at Merrill Lynch. Being diverse, have diversified portfolios, just like we have. (laughs) Works the same with furniture, I guess, right? And having your different markets. It's a very good segue, Mike. A very good segue. (laughs) I love it. So you went into the furniture sales and you developed your niches. Your other family members were also in the business. Why don't you give me a little bit about some of your other family members, some of their roles, some of their responsibilities, and how they got involved into the business? There was not a hard and fast rule set where you had to have a certain level of education or you had to go to college or you had to look and smell like this. They really allowed each family member 
to make their own decision about what they were interested in. And each of the family members that were a part of our business some at one point and may or may not be today all had to face that similar decision, right? Whether it's something you were interested in pursuing. My cousin, Andrew, who currently runs Balea Print Design as our president, he started out at Balea at a very young age and he stuck with it. As a matter of fact, he ended up going to culinary school for a year because he by far is one of the best cooks in our entire family. Sorry, the bully is out there. I mean, everybody knows Andrew is by far one of the best cooks that we have. So with Andrew cooking and your father with the wine, it's nice holidays. (laughs) Marriage made in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. So I always credit Andrew for that. And, you know, it was his passion, right? It's something he wanted to do. But for him, he realized it wasn't something that was long-term for him. He wanted that to be his passion, but didn't want to be in a kitchen environment. So he started out in the business very young at the retail center, making copies, handling all the client requests, and he stuck with it. And because he stuck with it, he was able to start at a very young age. I think he started in 99 when he was a late teen and was able to really learn at a young age and develop those skill sets. And of course, with his personality, I know you've met Andrew. Personality is one of the strongest. He is the quintessential sales guy. Everyone loves him. And so for him, it was a natural progression for him to be able to move right into that sales role from his father. Who else after Andrew's next? Andrew, then really myself, I joined in 2004, right after Merrill Lynch, as I said. And as we talked about, I jumped right into that sales role. After that was my brother, Sal. Now, my brother, Sal kind of jumped in and out. Now, he came from the wine business. It was his passion. So he was out in, in San Diego learning how to make wine. He took that wine experience back. Then he came to work here locally in Mulca Hill for Bill Heritage. I'm sure you've had Heritage Winery. So he was certainly working there and helping Bill transfer that wine to what it is today. Sal worked with my cousin, Andrew, in the print company. So Sal naturally went to operations and really managed the production operation. And my brother, Andrew, cousin, Andrew, ended up really on the sales side. Flash forward a couple years, my cousin, Michael, joined the company in 2010. Now he's very similar to his father, my uncle, Tom. Now my uncle, Tom, went to school for Drexel as an accountant, then joined the business. And Michael did the same thing. Michael, just like his father, Mike worked for Aparente Beard and a couple other firms, Mm -hmm. then came on board as our controller for both companies. Mike moved through quickly like the rest of us. To this day, he moved into being our CFO for the enterprise. Oh, that's amazing. How the personalities and the traits just fall right within family line. That's amazing. Certainly couldn't have been scripted, that's for sure. And it sounds like your brother and your cousins, whoever they marry someday, they're going to be pretty fortunate between the wine and being a chef. They want to come over to your house for holidays. Little caveat here, Mike. So my, my wife's family makes cheese out in Wisconsin. So just kind of keep tacking it on there. <laughs> and I'm sure you make the pasta somewhere fresh along the way. We sure do. <laughs> that's great. So now you have all family members working in the business and as time progressed over time, I'm sure your father and your uncle Tom, they were probably starting to think about retirement. Tell me about, if you know, what they were thinking about and why they thought that they wanted to eventually transition the business to you and your family members. Why didn't they, they retired at a nice young age, relative. We talked to a lot of family-owned businesses. They work till their last day. That usually doesn't bear well for the next generation because they don't get a chance to take ownership. So what was unique or different that your father or your uncle saw in themselves or the family that they said, ah, that's not for me? 
I give them a lot of credit, both Tom and Anthony, just thinking differently about how to exit. I can't tell you how many family businesses I talk to where those owners, they just want to keep going, right? For their own reasons. And some of them right and some of them wrong. The fact that they saw that they could put in place a process, a system to allow themselves to slowly step back and us to step forward. I just really give them a lot of credit. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that my dad started with his mother and father day one in 1973. Day one, he was 20 years old. Flash forward, my Uncle Tom started about two years after that. They were young guys trying to make it on their own. When you look at my father, he put 40 years into this business. So at age 60, he was able to retire. So I give him a lot of credit for the foresight and being able to do that. You've done really well for yourself. We've been friends for probably a good 10, 15 years now, and I've seen your progression in the business and how you built that up. What would you describe either from your family that makes a family business successful? Was there any common threads or common traits that you saw that really made you guys where you are today? A lot of things that, that made us successful. And that's one of the reasons why some of us stood around and other of us, some of us did not. Believe it or not, there were actually family members that decided it wasn't right for them. You know, you look at some of the decisions they made and one of the reasons they didn't want to stay involved in a family business. And then I sit back and I think about what was important to them. Two very good examples. My brother, Ken, who's my youngest brother, and my older brother, Sal. They were both involved in the business as well, like I was at an early age and moved throughout there. But their personalities were a little different from mine in the way that they wanted to operate their company. They were a little bit more entrepreneurial in the way that they wanted to operate, and they didn't want to collaborate with business partners or even have business partners. Not having somebody to answer to all the time. For somebody that doesn't want that, it's great that they were able to realize that and say, you know what, I want to start my own business. Both my brothers started their own business for that reason. When you look at it that way, you say, okay, well, you know, those are the things that my brothers didn't necessarily want to do, but those are the things that are required for a successful family business. The understanding and the idea that, you know, you need to make decisions as a group, you have to come up with consensus is really important. And you have to be able to kind of constantly be gut checking each other, making sure we're in alignment with not only the day-to-day, but all the strategic long-term things. You can be your own boss in a family business, but you got to know that you've got business partners. And that's really important when it comes to family business success. Sometimes having the communications and delineating between, yes, they're my family members and we're at work versus they're my brothers and cousins and we're hanging out at the house. That communication sometimes is not easy because everybody's personalities are a little bit different. Some people are a little bit stronger. Some people are a little bit more laid back. The process now there, you have lots of family members who are considering maybe going into ownership to the next generation. Was the conversation your Tom and Anthony was just like, hey, you guys are going to take over, go figure it out. Did they give you an opportunity to sit and think about it? What was the process like of the conversations between your dad and your uncle and you and your cousins and your brother of, hey, this could potentially be yours. Do you think you want it? Those conversations are very difficult to have, particularly when you have six people in the room with all dynamic personalities. We realized very early on that we were not capable of handling those conversations on our own. So we reached out to an industry friend of ours who 
really specialized in turnaround work. His job was really to go in and turn around companies. And he also had a really strong skill set of talking to people and getting them to understand what it is that we want out of our careers and our goals. So we engaged a gentleman by the name of Gary, who came from Alabama, and he would fly up to see us on numerous occasions. And we developed a two-year program with Gary, where we engaged not only on a weekly basis with one-on-one phone calls, but he would also come in quarterly, and we would have group sessions to talk about where we were with those conversations. So what we did first is we took a look each other's gaps in our roles, right? So me being the director of sales at the time, me identifying myself and saying and speaking up and saying, I want to be the president of this company someday, we would all sit down and we would say, okay, let's identify the skill sets that are required for you to fit that role. Each one of us did that through a two-year process. We not only identified it, but then we actively worked on getting additional school or additional help or meeting with certain individuals in order to grow our skill set. So three good examples. My cousin Andrew joined Avistas Group. So he was able to build his skill sets out as a president and as an owner. Myself, I went back to Drexel and I joined a program through the entrepreneurial school called the Growth Acceleration Program, which essentially is an accelerated MBA. And then my cousin Michael, formally, he was going to be our CFO. He spoke up and said, rather than me getting my CPA, I'm going to go out and get my formal MBA. And that's what he did over two years. Mike ended up getting his MBA. I give that process a lot of credit, but it wasn't all sunshines and roses. It was a lot of difficult one-on-one conversations, really telling each other what we're doing wrong, what we need to do better, what we want out of this partnership. And to this day, I can tell you, I mean, we still have guidance and support from some small business councils that we're on, but I can tell you today, still, with the business partners I have, it is still extremely difficult to tell your brother or your cousin or your father or your uncle truly how you feel about what's going on and dividing that between being a member of a partnership versus being a family member. I commend you on that two-year process. That was probably one of the most difficult times that you probably had, transitioning and having those tough conversations. I talk to a lot of family-owned businesses, and I wish that most generations took the time and actually went through that process. A two-year process really helped probably solidify or not, and they were probably both good either way, the future of the business. And I see most family businesses say, you'll take over this business and you'll learn when I'm no longer here and you'll figure it out. Totally different type of mindset. And that's what makes you guys so successful as where you are today. Yeah, thank you. Going into that transition during the two years, there was probably a lot of things that you were really excited about and some things that you probably were a little scared about, some dangers that you may have had. Could you tell me a little bit about either one of those, some of the biggest dangers and then some things you were really excited about? The biggest danger is the unknowns. Just not knowing really what's going on, not knowing the right questions to ask when. We have all of these experts here. We have lawyers and accountants involved and consultants. They're really there to help kind of coach the process along as all six members were moving towards this transition. And we had all formal documentation, all agreements and legal agreements written up. Not having somebody on my side to really help understand and diagnose what's going on and be able to go through it and explain it to me was a big danger. I realized very early on. The other side of it is just that blanket of trust. Mm -hmm. This is my father and my uncle and my family. We're going to take care of each other. And you know what? That is what happened, of course. 
But the danger that you face on a daily basis, and not necessarily daily, but you know, as you're signing these agreements, you, in the back of your head, you're going, I really don't know to the extent what, of what I'm signing. And maybe that stipulation there is written into this contract that maybe will be more important to me someday. And at the time, you're just signing documentation because you're excited. And it's family, so you're fine. Early on in your career, looking back, you've been very successful in your sales role. What do you think were some of the things that you did early on that you could pinpoint and say, I'm glad I really did these two or three things consistently that made me who I am today as president or in my sales success? I think it has to do with the fact that I was born a Pisces. You know, I have the ability to be able to kind of morph and adapt to a lot of different scenarios. And a lot of things really don't phase me in that regard. And I think that's one of my biggest strengths, the ability to be able to adapt, not necessarily behavior, but modify what's going on with your surroundings. And I think that's definitely one of my biggest strengths because that has helped me maintain and reduce my stress. When things get tough, particularly in economy or in a family business, because we're responsible for our employees and their well-being. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing. That daily pressure that's beaming down on you, you know, really feel like it could be a heavy cross to bear. I think one of my strengths really has to be my ability to be able to just adapt, be flexible, whatever's thrown at you, bounce back and keep going. As you know, I like to give some words of wisdom back to our listening audience because one, this podcast is to really congratulate family businesses like yourself have made it to the third generation, which is incredible. Less than 8% of family businesses make it to the third generation. But there are a lot of family businesses out there that struggle, that don't even make it to the second generation. What would you let our audience know? What would be some like words of wisdoms that they could take from this podcast and hopefully bring it back to their family and apply it and hopefully learn a little bit more to help them defy the odds? I think for me, it was always keeping my eyes open, looking for that next opportunity. Sometimes in a family business, you can get stuck in that comfortable rut. So maintain that entrepreneurial spirit in a business, in a small business, is very important because you've got to know what's coming up. And you can't sit back and get comfortable with what your forefathers and your family has done, built that up, right? So you've always got to be on your feet in that regard. Secondly, I'd say constantly always meeting new people, really developing relationships and trying to meet and get your name out there and get people to know that you're out there and that you're still operating successfully. That's really important. It takes a lot of hard work and effort. A lot of times we don't have the resources of bigger firms that are able to kind of just do crazy marketing. We've got to be out in front of people and, and make sure that we're meeting and get in front of them. The third one, which is similar to my biggest strength, is always remain optimistic. Be positive in every day and everybody you meet. And don't be that person that walks in the room and being that downer. As we kind of wrap up a little bit here, looking back, your strength is business development. Have you seen the way that you have developed business a long time ago? Is it same way that you're running it now? Is it any different? What have you seen that you had to modify and adapt your style to today's crazy world? I saw myself making the same mistakes that I see people making today. When I go to networking events now, I don't try to meet everybody in the room. I try to make one or two or three meaningful connections. You know, I made a mistake early on thinking I needed to know everybody. I needed to be involved in everything. I don't. What I need now is meaningful relationships with key individuals that we have mutual interest. We share the same ethical characteristics, the same moral characteristics. We care about our community. I don't need to be with the business development 
individual that's just trying to succeed in this world. I want to surround myself with people that care and that want to give back and that are really trying to be something more than just what we can do individually. So is there anything else I may have missed that you would want to have the listening audience either know about yourself, the family business, or any other words of wisdom that you like to share? I would tell you that for the family businesses that are out there listening and you're considering taking over the family business from maybe your father or your aunt and uncle or grandfather for that matter, understand and review the financials. For us, I was a little too young, even though I came from finance, there was a lot of trust there. And not that they did us wrong because they didn't. And I don't want to give off that perception, but it's important that I don't go into those meetings like I'm the son of my father. I should be going to those meetings with the understanding that it's got to be a good business decision. So understand what the debts are, understand what the assets are, understand what the net incomes are, and take a look at those trends, as opposed to just being super excited about taking over a family business. I think that is a huge one. Thank you very much for being our guest. In today's podcast, this is great having your uncle on the very first one and now having you on, I think this is going to be our sixth or seventh podcast has been very enlightening, learned way more about Bolia family, which is great. Looking forward to you furnishing our new offices where we're recording this podcast right now. If you hear a little echo, it's because we're fitting out our offices. We'll give a plug to our good friends at Big Sky, who's doing a really good job here. Again, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. And I hope I uh, did my family proud. I'm sure you have. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneur's Journey, hosted by Michael Pelosi, president of HFM Investment Advisors, LLC. To learn more and to subscribe to the show, head on over to hfmadvisors.com. HFM Investment Advisors, LLC is a registered investment advisor. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer for sale or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. All investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendation appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.